Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. We're glad you're here in the room. We're glad that you're online. Whether you're watching with us Sunday morning, a lot of you guys do. Or maybe some people, they tell us later on it was during the week when maybe they were working. So we're glad for y'all to join us. And today we're talking about leaving a legacy of love. Pastor Bill started our series last week and he's really challenging us to step up to the plate and look at the legacy that we are leaving behind us. And we're all doing it. Is it a legacy for good? Is it a legacy for bad? And I want to challenge you to be for good and to leave a legacy of love. Derek and I really worked on this as parents. Our kids are grown now. Um, We're all thinking about it. You kids that have younger kids, you're thinking about, oh, because they're imitating everything I do. Nothing I say, right? Everything that I do, they imitate. It's a little bit scary. So we really worked on it. And I'll say one of our two Push the boundaries a little bit more than the other one. Let me see hands. Do any of you guys have one of those? Yes. Yes, we all have one of those, don't we? Well, I had one. (laughs) Yes, so I had one. And um, he tended to push the envelope just a little bit more. So we had a lot of these conversations. Okay, are these the choices that you want to make? I want you to think about right now what you're doing. Is this the legacy that you want to leave behind? And parents, I'm not promising you that things changed overnight, but it did make a difference and an impact of, I need to think beyond right now and today because I have to look ahead. Legacy means I've been working on it for a long time and it's gonna take some time to work on what I'm gonna leave to the many generations that are behind me. I recently saw a post on social media that was really funny and it was this girl and she was saying, hey, I really am trying to leave a legacy of health to my children. It's caught my attention. And she said, you know what? We've been driving through fast food too much. We're eating chips. We're eating all this junk. I really want my kids, when they're out on their own, to make good, healthy decisions for their health. So she said, I'm starting this thing with my kids. And I said, hey, here's the deal. We're not driving through fast food anymore. It's gone. I don't know if Chick-fil-A is considered fast food, but I I don't know if I could do without with that one. Can you guys join in with me on that one? But she said, no more. And she said, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna give a vegetable every single night and everybody has to eat it or some of it. And if you do it for the whole week without complaining, there's gonna be a big reward on Friday night. We're gonna do something. We're gonna go to the movies, gonna go main event. We're doing all this great stuff as a family. So from pressure from the other children, they're like, hey, y'all, eat it, have a good attitude. Right, mom's gonna do this for about a week. She'll be over it, right? So, so that was their plan. So they did. So it's really going well. Bribery parents does some great things, doesn't it? So they continued week, you know, day after day, and then Friday came, and the mom thought, "I'm getting the big guns out." So she got the broccoli out. She's like, "Mm -hmm, "I'm gonna push this to the limit." So she's cooking it on the stove, and the daughter walks in. She's like, "What are you cooking?" And she goes, "Broccoli." do you not like broccoli? And she goes, oh, I love broccoli. Love broccoli, mom, love broccoli. It's Friday, it's the last day, right? So the mom, they're all eating and the mom notices the daughter didn't touch the broccoli. And she says, hey, I thought you loved broccoli. And she said, well, I do love broccoli, just not enough to eat it. So yes, that would be those in my family, my husband would not, it doesn't matter what I put on the broccoli. I've tried everything, y'all. Going, it's really good, especially if you do it in the air fryer. He, he's not trying it. So 
my point with that is we throw this term of love around. I love the ocean. I love the mountains. I love reading. I love the pool. I love ice cream. Might be a love, but really it's just preferences, right? That's preferences in our vernacular when we're saying, oh, I love this. I love that. Love you. Um, But what I want to talk about today is a different kind of love. It's sacrificial love. It's, spoiler alert, doing something for someone else and not expecting something in return. It's when you love enough to do something that doesn't benefit you at all. In fact, it's probably going to be a struggle. It's going to be a little bit hard for you. But that's what God has called us to do. So there's an inspiring passage in Exodus, the second book of the Old Testament. And I love this story about Jochebed. And it's Moses' mother. And she is really called to step up and do something that none of us moms have ever had to do, but she did it because she loved her son so much. She wanted him to live, so she did something really creative for him. But let me give you a little of the backstory before we read that passage. So it's really been a long, a long road for the Hebrew people. They'd gone to Egypt. You guys remember famine had hit, so they moved over there. They've been there for 400 years. Okay, our country hasn't been here for 400 years, right? We can't even imagine this. They've been there for 400 years. Their people group is growing. They're 2 million strong now. And there's a new Pharaoh, and he's concerned that this people group is going to outnumber the Egyptians, and they're going to take over the country. So he starts coming up with a plan. What can we do to keep these people from populating so fast? So he says, hey, I have an idea. We're going to make them all slaves. We're going to make them slaves. We're going to work them real hard. And... They just won't be populating anymore. So he does it, and a crazy thing happens. They populate it even more. That's what God does, right? He keeps growing them. So then he's like, okay, new plan. So he meets with two of the midwives, and he says, okay, they have two head midwives, and he tells them, hey, here's what we're going to do. They are just populating too fast, so we're going to kill all the baby boys that were born. Not the girls, but just all Hebrew baby boys that are born. All right, girls, I'm sad about that, but we really don't always get a lot of great things out of this, right? So the girls are all rejoicing because the girls are getting to live. And the, the midwives really couldn't do it. They are heartbroken about this. They're scared to death of Pharaoh. If he will kill baby boys, he will kill midwives. So they know they are at risk here. So they devise a plan, and what they decide is they tell him, We don't know what to do. These Hebrew women, they are so strong. They tell us they're having the baby. By the time we get there, the baby's born. So there's nothing that we can do. So Caroline is in here. She pointed out to me in her Bible class, that was one of the questions. Whoever lied and was blessed in the Bible? And it was these two midwives. So there you go. There's a lesson for today. They were blessed in that they got to live. But they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. They knew they weren't going to kill Hebrew baby boys, right? So that's where we jump in the story of Jochebed. Let's read this together. If you guys want to open up your Bibles to Exodus 2, we're going to read 1 through 10, and we're going to hear the story about this. It says, Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. I want to stop there for a second. Have you ever tried to hide a baby that's crying for a hot five minutes at a movie or a theater? Or it's about impossible. So God was with her that she was able to hide this baby for even three months. But she did. And verse 3 says, but when she could hide him no longer, 
She got a papyrus basket for him, and she coated it with tar and pitch, and then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. I've been to the Nile in Africa, and it is a crazy rolling river with lots and lots of waterfalls and raging rapids, high-level rapids. If you've done rapids before, it's like the extreme ones. So she's pretty smart already that she's putting him along the reeds. So she's putting him in all the brush on the side. I think Jacobet's a smart woman. She knew where she was taking him, that he would have the best chance for survival. And so verse 4 says, his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. I think Jacobet probably couldn't watch. Do you? As a mom who, the hours she was preparing this basket, she's putting the tar in that basket. Don't you know, mamas? She was putting extra, extra, extra tar so it wouldn't sink for her little precious baby boy that she was going to send him down the Nile. So Miriam, his sister's watching, and then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. Yes, the Pharaoh, her dad was the Pharaoh who had ordered the Hebrew boys to die. So she goes down, and she tells her attendants are walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it, and she saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for them. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. She knew exactly what was going on. Then his sister, who just happened to be at the right place at the right time, Miriam was standing over there, don't you know, just waiting for the second, his older sister, as they take care of these younger brothers and sisters, she's running over, and Miriam says, shall I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother, Jochebed. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. Now, there's win of all wins, right? She gets to take her baby home with her, and she's going to get paid to take care of him. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she had to take him back. Scripture doesn't say how long, but I read a lot of commentaries, and they were saying it was three to four years that they nursed these babies. So she got to be with them for three or four years. And don't you know, every bedtime story, everything that she could think of, she was telling him about her God. And she was telling him about this God who snatched him out of the water and saved his life and had a big plan for his life. So she had a few years to do that. Then she had to take him back to Pharaoh's daughter to continue on with his life. It says, she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. So Jochebed, this was desperate measures. Nobody puts their baby in the Nile. But she knew this was his only chance of survival because if word got out, if Pharaoh, and he had lots of people on his side, knew that this baby was alive, she knew, even as a young boy, that he would be killed. And she also knew she's putting her life at risk and her daughter Miriam's life at risk, because if they were a part of this, both of them could die as well. But she loved her son more. More than the fear that was boiling within her, she loved her son enough to say, I'm going to do a risky thing here so he can live. 
Now that's a, that's a fierce legacy of love right there. Of someone who stepped way out of her comfort zone to do something in hopes that her son might live. But then the most amazing thing happens. God blesses her on the worst day of her life, sending this baby down the river, telling him goodbye, never thinking she would ever see him again. She, she, she did not. Her biggest hope was that he would live. Somebody would find her, take him somewhere else. But she knows that God showed up, as he always does, in difficult circumstances for us. And she know, knows that God caused Pharaoh's daughter to find the basket. Anybody could have found the basket, right? But Pharaoh's daughter found the basket with the crying baby. And she knows that God caused Pharaoh's daughter to have compassion on the baby as well. And that God had her hire her, that she could stay close. She could have sent him to anybody to nurse the baby, but to her very own mother, that she got to be with him. This is what God does. When we're obedient and we leave a legacy of love and we do the things that he calls us to do, no matter how scary they are, God shows up puts his handprint on it and says, I've got this. I'm taking care of you guys. Her faithful actions left an impact and her faithful actions left a legacy. She had no idea who Moses would become, that he would become the future deliverer of the Hebrews, that he would make an impact on her nation and our nation today. We all still know the, we all know the story of Moses. And it's continuing on. She showed true love, not just I love you broccoli kind of love, but that sacrificial love that we were talking about that you put yourself at risk. You put your, um, maybe if people are going to like you or not at risk, maybe um, giving up of your time and your energy and your resources, a lot of things at risk when we tried to love well and leave a legacy of love. So my question for us today, me included, is how do we do this on an ongoing basis every single day, not just on weekends or at the holidays? How do we continue to leave a legacy of love? Because sometimes it's just downright exhausting, isn't it? Loving people and encouraging people, especially those that are hard to love, right? Do you have some of those in your life? It's easy to love my sweet baby Catherine, granddaughter, I love her so much, I can't hardly stand it. Every time I get to see her, it's so exciting. God's not just calling us to love the lovable. He's calling us to also love the unlovable. That person you work with that's difficult, somebody in your family, somebody who's negative, every time that you are with them, you don't think you can do it for five more minutes. God says, hey, guess what? I've called you. You're in their path. I want you to show them love. Sometimes it takes us out of our comfort zone, doesn't it? We're going to look at um, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 11. And Paul writes this great passage on love and some actions that we can take. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 11. Or you can look up at the screens. And Paul says, now about your love for one another, we do not need to write you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. So we already know how to do it. It's not, not that for us. It's more, are we going to give our will to it? Are we going to step out and do what he has called us to do? And in fact, he says in verse 10, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia, which was their community. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, 
Here's what he's urging, catch this. To do so more and more. Do it more and more. And make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business, work with your hands just as we told you. So he's saying about this quiet life is don't get distracted by what everybody else is doing. Hey, I shouldn't have to do it because they're not doing it. Mind your own business, worry about yourself, right? He's saying you do what God's called you to do and God's going to take care of the other people because sometimes that's what we think is why should I have to love them? They're not loving me. They're not being kind to me. And he's saying, you do what God has called you to do, and he will worry about that. So three things we're going to talk about today that you can do to leave a legacy of love every single day of your life. And the first one is to prioritize love. So it doesn't just come naturally or easily. It's something we have to actually make a priority to do and to work on. Every single day when we get up in the morning, God doesn't want us to take a shower, eat breakfast, whichever order you do, go to work, go to school, whichever you're doing, come home, eat dinner, do all the homework, sports, all the things that have to happen, go to bed, do it again the next day. God's saying when you get up in the morning, already be thinking, prioritize. Okay, God, who do you have me to love today? It's not all about me, remember? I want to be your hands and feet. So you put somebody in my path, I'm going to love them, prioritize it, make it a priority, and then actually follow through and do it when he calls you to do it. So, number one, prioritize love. Number two, actively show love. It said, do more of it. So, not just, oh, I love you, I love you, but actually let people see by your actions that you love them. Sacrificing of yourself. Maybe it's, hey, grabbing coffee for a coworker because you know they've had a hard day. Maybe it's a sweet little note you're going to send to somebody because you just know an anniversary of something horrible is coming up and maybe they could just use a little bit of love from you. You think of what it could be, but love is an action and it requires us to continue to work at it. It's not always um, the easiest thing for us to do, but it is something that God has called us to do. It requires forethought. It requires effort um, to be an action for us to do it. All right, number three, give God's love. And this is actually my most favorite one. Because this is a benefit as Christians that we have. So if you are not a Christian in the room or online, you don't have this. Um, But when we accept Jesus to come into our life, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, Scripture says comes and lives inside of us. The second that we call on the name of Jesus and we say, I believe in you, Jesus. Um, Please come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. Scripture says you're sealed until the day of redemption. You can't lose your salvation that God is always there with you and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. It says when we read scripture that the Holy Spirit is teaching us the things that God's word is saying. Have you ever read something and thought, I have never seen that in scripture before? And that's the Holy Spirit enlightening, bringing it alive for you. He's got something special for you out of that. So we can give God's love away because of the Holy Spirit. So you may be thinking, I can't love this person. Nope, you can't. But guess what? God's spirit within you is going to enable you to love the way that you can't love. That's why one of the benefits of having the Holy Spirit within us is to love in a way that God loves. When you think about the people that you're around every day, all of your interactions, the people that live in your house, the people that don't live in your house, maybe coffee place you drive by, whatever it is that you do each and every day, do those people, when you leave their presence, are they thinking, 
that is the most nicest and loving person. Seems like even if I get the order wrong or if I shorted the money on accident or I was late with their order or whatever happened, are we continually showing people God's love? Because Pastor Bill always says, sometimes we're the only Bible that somebody ever reads. So what that means is they may not have grown up in church or they don't have the benefit of coming in here and Pastor Bill preach each and every week teaching us God's word. So they don't really know about the Bible. They don't understand about this Jesus. But what they're saying is, guess what? From you watching your life in the way that you love, they're going to know who God is. Kind of like if you've been with um, any of our kids for any amount of time or your kids, we're going to know a little bit about you. Because most of the time, they're a little bit like us. So that's what people are saying when they see you and me is, guess what? I don't know much about you, but you don't respond the way other people respond. And there's something just a little bit different about you. I'm not sure why. But God's calling us to love the unlovable, to be love in action, to do tangible things so people see that we're a little bit different. I love that about our church. Our church is awesome at this, whether it's serving the community by being serving here at church. We have people, you guys know, that get here way earlier than any of us to get the parking lot ready, to get the kids' area ready, um, making coffee, all the things that have to happen for this whole thing to take place. And they're sacrificing a lot just for you. The people who are in the kids' area, they sacrifice because they go to two services. They serve back there in one service, so you have childcare for your kids. And then they come sit in here for another service, and that's a sacrifice. We're all busy on the weekends and have lots of things that we could be doing, but they want to leave a legacy for your kids. They want you to feel comfortable coming into this place knowing that your kids are well taken care of in there. And that's a legacy of love that they're leaving each and every weekend just for you, and you may know, notice or not notice, so tell them thank you so much when you go back there. We also... As a whole church and a community, we serve our community through our food pantry. And what started about 10 years ago in the back of a suburban of handing out a few meals, you guys know, has turned into our huge Cindy Ramsey Center that we hand out hundreds of baskets of food each and every single Saturday. And now we have that they can sign up and come in and shop on Fridays. And there's people here on Thursday setting up. It's a whole thing. It's not just show up on Friday when they give it away, and they're here at like five in the morning organizing for all the people that will come. Hundreds of volunteers make it happen just to show love in action. Because we want to be a church that shows love in action. That's Pastor Bill's heart, is not that we just pour into ourselves and, and we're not different. We want people to, outside these walls, to say, that's a different church. You know, they are, they are serving the community. They are giving all the time. That's who we want our DNA to be. And Pastor Bill's heart is that we have that help out center paid off before it's even done by the end of the year because it's only the beginning of a dream of some great things that we can do to add on to continue to serve single moms, um, crisis pregnancy centers, all kinds of things that we want to be able to help. So I invite you, come serve. Give of your resources. Do whatever you can to help expand that because we believe it's love in action. It's one way that we can love on all of those people who come to this church, who may never have stepped foot on a church before, and then they get to see our people loving them, 
praying with them. It's an amazing place to be. If you've never been, you just got to come watch. Because if I got up at five, I don't know how friendly I would be, y'all. They're so friendly and loving and laughing, all the volunteers. And it's just part of the legacy of what we want to do. John 13, 35 says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's not by your Facebook likes. It's not by um, your position at work. Scripture's telling us it's our love for one another. What are we doing to love each other well? 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 6 is one of my favorite passages that's going to show us how to walk through this. It's the chapter, if you've been to a wedding recently, right? It's a big wedding we love to talk about because it's really true love. But it's really true of all of us. Paul was writing it for all of us to practice love. And it says, if I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. But here's the active part. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. So my challenge for you today is I think through these activities here at the bottom of this verse, we can talk about here's some things practically that we can do to be sure that we are showing love each and every day. So here's what I'm thinking. I thought about this. How I, I love a practical, tangible thing because I'm kind of a hands-on person that if I see it in an activity, I won't just come listen at service and then go home and go, oh, that was really great. But I'll be going, okay, I got to work on this. So here's my challenge is to get some index cards and you're going to write down these 13 actions. Is that 1 Corinthians 13, 13? I love when numbers line up. So there's 13 of them and you're going to write one like love is patient. So you're going to write one on there and then you're going to pray and you're going to ask God. Would my family or coworkers describe me as a patient person or would they say, I have a short fuse? If you got it, you can put it to the side. Or if you're like me and you go, oh, I got to work on that. Hey, that's going to go, that's day 14, right? We're going to keep doing them until we feel like we've got these mastered. Number two, love is kind. Am I kind and gracious toward others, especially when they fall short of my expectations? Number three, so this is day three. You're going to write this out. You're going to write, love does not envy. And then you're going to say, God, am I envious? Am I competing with people at work for possessions or position? I don't want to be that person. God, help me to not be envious. Day four, love does not boast. It is not proud. Am I self-focused, always trying to impress others with my achievements or my knowledge? God, I don't want to be a proud person, Lord. Help me work on that. Day five, love does not dishonor others. God, am I rude? Am I joining in on gossip when other people are gossiping? Or am I making the stand and saying, I'm going to honor people and I'm not going to behave that way? Number six, love is not self-seeking. Am I selfish, God? I don't mean to be. Do I think about others' needs ahead of my own? I want to love as you would love. Number seven, love is not easily angered. Am I easily offended or am I just letting things go, Lord? Teach me 
to leave that legacy to my children, that I'm not easily angered. Number eight, love keeps no record of wrongs. I'm going to read the other ones shortly to you. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. God, do I give up on others who have wronged or hurt me? Do I love them as you've called me to love them? If we will practice these every single day, the legacy of love that we are going to be able to leave is going to change the world. It's going to change the world. Our children are going to do as we do, right? We talked about that earlier, not what we say, but what we do. And if they're watching you, be kind to the people at other places. Maybe it's at the cleaners or the grocery store, wherever it is in their cell. Even when they forgot your order or they see us being so extra kind, they will be who we are. About five years ago, our relief team went down to Port Aransas to help um, when Hurricane Harvey had hit. And actually, we didn't even have a relief team then. We just had some guys who were like, man, we're hearing of all that devastation. They need some help. The insurance companies, remember, couldn't even go. Um, they were there, but they just couldn't. There was millions, y'all, houses that were devastated. And so much water had come. It had come into the sheetrock, and it was creating a mess of mold. And it was just unsafe conditions. So our guys went down for a couple months, and they called it mudding out, that they would go in. And you know when that much water comes in, mud was there, dirt was there. And they helped rip up carpet and tear out sheetrock that was growing um, mold and all the things, and they were just helping organizations to at least get that out, that people could save their houses and maybe still kind of live there in, some, in a, a somewhat fashion. So our guys went, they were doing that for a couple of months, and then they got notified from an agency. They were really about done, and they said, hey, we had this house, and her name is Marina, and it's a really bad situation. And we were wondering, your team is so awesome, your guys show up each and every other weekend, we, we, we don't even know what to do with y'all. You, you were just hitting it out of the park, and could you go check on this lady? So they go, they check on Marina, and she's got six kids from seven to 17, and the house was horrible, y'all. They had never seen anything like it. Um, there was no running water. There was no bathrooms. There was no showers. Um, the kids were going to the bathroom outside. It, was, it, was, it smelt horrible. It was, it was really devastating. So the guys all went and they're talking with the social worker and she said, well, if you guys don't take this, um, the kids are gonna go to CPS because the teachers are already complaining that kids just smell like it's, you know, they're just not getting showers and the, uh, it's just a bad situation and they're really worried about them and um, no work at all had been done on the house in two months. So you can imagine that water that had been there and the stench that was there. And the guys, really didn't feel equipped. <laughs> they weren't trained in all this, right? Um, it was a little out of their comfort zone, but they felt like God was calling them. And the guys said, yes, we will step up to the plate. So that, what continued for them for a couple, they stayed through December. They kept going back as much as they could, tearing out that sheetrock, putting in new sheetrock, putting in all new appliances, new um, bathrooms, new everything. And as they got to the end, they were getting ready to... Um, to be done. The guys came home. My husband, Derek, went, oh, y'all, these clothes that they would come home with, they stunk so bad. Their shoes, their boots, all, all of the stuff. And they came home, and Derek said, we got one more time to go back. And these families are massively sacrificing 
because all their husbands and dads were gone as well. So Derek said, we're going to go back one more time, and, and we really want to do something for them. They don't have any furniture. They have no clothes, um, no school supplies, no food. No, they're all just sleeping on the floor, and it was roach-infested. He said it was just horrible, and these guys couldn't see it and be the same. Have you seen something like that before? That you were able to witness something that you shouldn't be witnessing and that shouldn't go on in the world that we live in today. And, and that was these guys. And I saw these guys, tears in their eyes telling me about it. So we said, yes, as a church, what, what, do, you, what do you need? Yes, we're on it. And they said, well, could we ask people, maybe could we donate furniture and not use junk for Jesus stuff? You know how people want to give the stuff they don't want anymore? Can it be new stuff? Because they don't have anything. And we said, yes. So they started collecting and they got beds and comforters, sheets, towels and socks and underwear, pajamas, all of these things that we all take for granted. That's what they got. And they took it back down there and they had fallen in love with this family. You can show them the picture of Marina and her kids and and these young men. And one of the most amazing things that I saw was these men mentoring these young men. And they would pull them in, hey, let me show you how to do this. And they're talking to them as they're working alongside of them. And they're telling them how much God loves them. And that he had sent them, and, and do they know Jesus? And they made some lifelong friends there. Because they were willing to step outside of their comfort zone. And do something that God had been calling them to, to leave, leave a legacy of love. For this family of someone that they just, they didn't even know. You and I can do that too. We can do it in our, our world today. We don't have to go to Port Aransas to do it. There's people all around us that we could be showing love and maybe they've never seen love. Maybe their family didn't show love. Maybe they're from an abused background. Maybe they're single moms that don't have anybody helping her with her boys that you could help with in your neighborhood. Maybe you're driving by somebody's house and you're thinking, man, they used to take such good care of their yard. I wonder what's up. I guarantee you something's up. Why don't you get your lawnmower, go down and say, hey, we'd love to just help you. We'd love to help you. we just serve you. We're, we're doing okay today. So we have something to give to you. So I'm not sure what it is for you, but I guarantee you we all have something that God's going to call us to do to leave a legacy. We don't want to get to the end of our life and we're at that funeral and I've been to many, many, many funerals here at this church and, and they put those slideshows up on the the screen and their lives look just like yours and mine. Starting off as little kids, even the grandparents and their grandkids telling them how much they meant to them and their words of encouragement changed their life. That's what we want to be. When all is said and done, we all know, right? We know the end of the story. We're all not going to be here forever. And honestly, none of us know how much our time is, whether we're 15 or 85, if we all have a month or two to live, it's all the same. And we all have time right now. And we have what we need within us to make the sacrifice and to love as God would want us to love. That's our challenge today. And I'm praying for you guys. And I'm praying for our world because if our church and everybody who's watching online decides, I'm not going to just be in it for me anymore. I'm not... You know, besides all of the 
Oh, the divide that's in our world right now. I'm not even going to get caught up in that. I'm just going to love. I don't care if they're like me or not. I don't care if they believe the same as me. They are human people God has put here on this earth, and I'm going to love them regardless. And let's see what God does. Let's see how God showed up just like he did for Jochebed. He's going to show up that way for me and you. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. Thank you for each of my friends here today, Lord. I pray for them. I pray for a hedge of protection around them. I pray for their families. I pray for their jobs. Lord, we're asking for favor from you, for you to show up, to take care of us, Lord. And I pray that you will give us all opportunities to love outside of our comfort zone, to look for ways to love, to be love in action to those around us, specifically those that are difficult to love around us, Lord. We are thankful for you, Lord, thankful for Jesus. Thank you, um, Jesus, that you died on the cross. You rose again three days later, that we can have this Holy Spirit within us when we believe in you, Lord. And if there's anybody today who hasn't prayed that prayer, I believe in you, Jesus, please come into my life. Be the Lord and director of my life. My life from now on is centered on you, not on the world around me, Lord. And if anybody has prayed that prayer, your word says that they are part of the family of God, Lord, and we welcome them to be with us. Best decision they'll ever make, Lord. Be with us today as we leave, Lord. Bring us back next week. We can't wait to continue to learn about leaving a legacy and what you're going to teach us, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.